welcome to Tea Time. This is a weekly pop culture podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. I'm Kate Alwell. And I'm Amelia Wedemeyer. And today we are going to talk about, well, we're going to preview the Taylor Swift's uh, surprise new album, uh, Folklore, right? That's what it's called? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And we're going to, not only that, we're going to celebrate 10 years with One Direction. And then obviously we're going to just revisit Camp Rock 2, the final jam. It's 2010 on this podcast today. (laughs) We traveled back in time. (laughs) Come with us. Okay. First category, Tea Time is checking in with the surprise Taylor Swift album. This is breaking news. As of today, we're recording this on Thursday. She released the statement on all of her social media platforms. She's got a new album coming tonight at midnight. So very exciting stuff. She, on her Instagram, posted a lot of different black and white photos of a forest and nice trees aesthetic. And she goes, most of the things I'd planned for the summer didn't end up happening, but there is something I hadn't planned that did happen. And that is my eighth studio album, Folklore. Tonight at midnight, she'll be releasing brand new albums of songs that I've poured all of my whims, dreams, fears, and musings into. She's definitely in a place, in a (laughs) place right now in her life. I think she's been quarantined for perhaps too long, like we all have. Um, She gives a bunch of different info on the album that we're going to discuss in depth, but it seems like she wrote and recorded this whole thing in quarantine, in isolation. Um, It's her eighth studio album, like she said. She's also releasing a music video for a song named Cardigan. Hell yeah. cool, which she wrote and directed. She she also shot that in quarantine. So yeah, guys, what do we think about this news, first off? I'm excited. I also can't believe we've been in quarantine long enough for Taylor Swift to write, produce, (laughs) release an entire studio album. That's like a little uh, tough for me to think about. Um, so true. But this is, this is the vibe I want from her, honestly. Just like wandering the woods in her cardigan. Interesting. Being sad about quarantine. Right when I heard her, when I saw her use the word whim, I was yep. like, yes, we're yep. doing it. We are fucking doing it. Was I the only person on God's green earth that liked her former self, like her most recent iteration of Taylor Swift, which is like really poppy and like with Brandon Yuri and kind of like all over the I place. I feel like you both are on board with this new toned down Taylor well, Swift. Well, Elizabeth Kelly, Amelia and I recorded a topper to our Tea Time episode the week that Lover came out. But for some reason you weren't on and I don't remember why. Um, but we talked at length about how much we liked it. So maybe if you listened oh. to the things that we recorded. <laughs> I don't listen to the show when I'm not on it. That's well known. Um, okay, so we're all on board then with this like new cottage core <laughs> Taylor Swift. Yeah, which do you think? Too. So I want to talk about the vibes. Uh, yes. People are like, it's man of the woods, Taylor, because she's like, it's black and mm. white. She's in the woods. She has like yeah. her little braided buns. Yeah. Do we like, like you said, Amelia, you were you liked out of the woods, right? So now we like right. I'm like, if there are more woods with this, if it's like a fairy tale kind of woodsy thing, I'm I'm into it because out of the woods, great song. And I just and again the whim thing, you know, she's whimsical. We're going back to her like believing into fairy tales, and I'm just like, yeah, why not? That is I true. Agree. That is pretty early Taylor Swift, all the fairy yeah. tale type of shit, and the curly hair, and the sparkles, and the music videos, and the white horse, and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Liz, you mentioned cottage core. I would like to hear more about that because I think that some of our listeners maybe don't know what that is. Okay. So this is according to Google. Cottage core <laughs> stemming from online movements including grandma core, farm core, goblin core, and fairy core 
is an internet aesthetic which celebrates a return to traditional forms of craft, such as foraging, baking, and pottery. Have you not come across these TikToks like organically? I was just going to say, I live on Bean's TikTok, so I am not a part of Cottagecore TikTok, but I will say the modern practice of Cottagecore lives on that app, TikTok. And it's basically like you have a nice piano tune. There's mason jars being filled. Someone is scrapbooking and cursive. You harvest your honey. It's like all these little snippets of a simpler life, which sounds lovely. You like notate a little Jane Austen novel. It's beautiful. This is Taylor Swift's new aesthetic for this album. And I like it. Sure. See, that kind of reminds me of the Huga. Do you remember Huga when that was kind of big? It was, no. it was a Danish term for like feelings of comfort. That was oh, like a yes. big thing a few years ago. Yeah. Is that kinda, how you it, pronounce it? Is it like just, H-Y-G-G-E? It's H-Y-G-G-E. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's Huga, but wow, maybe, maybe it's Higa. It's Higa or Huga. Whatever. Yeah, I have actually seen that. Very Instagrammy. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're all on board with Taylor Swift's Cottage Core. Let's talk about yes. the track list because she actually gave us a lot of info. She like never really explicitly says anything, but for once in her life, she did. So <laughs> she says, let's see, she got to collaborate with some musical heroes of hers. Great. A bunch of people. But the notable ones is she has Bon Iver, who wrote, co-wrote and sang with her on a song. She's got Jack Antonoff in there, which I know we have thoughts on. Do you guys want to break this apart? Kate, you first. Yeah. She's basically like Jack Antonoff, who's family by now, which she has worked with him a ton on mm-hmm. her albums, which is like fine. Like, I don't hate the Jack Antonoff, like bleachers sound. I know yeah, a lot of people neither. do. I don't mind it. But my take is like, we know that Jack Antonoff is quarantined with Lord and they've been together for a long time. Hmm. Could we not get one single Lord verse on this album? It seems like her vibe. Happened. She's witchy in the woods. She doesn't <laughs> brush her hair. Like, this is sure. made for Lord. And I'm disappointed that she's not on here. You're so right. What was that? <laughs> it's a mistake. Where, yeah, it absolutely is. Like, wait, what are you doing, Lord? You have nothing going on. That's yeah. so true. That's so true. Do you oh, think God. that Bonnie Vare's voice is going to match and pair with Taylor Swift? I just can't tell. And I like um, him a lot, but I just don't know about the, the molding of those two voices together on a song. Yeah, I'm not mm. convinced either, but I guess we'll see. Amelia, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you wanted to talk about the track list? The track list. So... I don't know about you guys, but the track list and, and the aesthetic that she's kind of going for, you know, with the black and white, but also it's like, these aren't professional photos, is very 1989 to me. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, welcome to New York, blank space, style, out of the woods, like wildest dreams. I know places. I don't know. And it's just, to me, the names of her songs, like we have, like you said, Cardigan, The Last Great American Dynasty. Is that going to be about the Kennedys? I, I, I'm almost going to bet my life. <laughs> oh, <on> shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. My Tears Ricochet, wow. Mirrorball, uh, Illicit Affairs, Hoax, Epiphany. Like it sounds, the names of her songs on this album, which I'm not, this isn't like a negative or anything. It's, I like it. I like this. It's very much like a MAC cosmetics line circa 2010. <laughs> That's how I kind of am reading this right now, which honestly, I'm into it. Let's do this. That's fair. I'm excited. I try to keep the conspiracies to a minimum on uh, Tea Time, (laughs) but we do have to investigate one that her fans have brought to my attention. So because obviously I don't track it that closely, but apparently in the caption, she credit, you know, she's crediting all of her musical collaborators, including Jack and like we talked about, Bonnie Bear, whatever. And then... 
There's a fourth name named William Bowery who co-wrote oh. two songs with Taylor, according to mm-hmm. her post. And apparently he's like never been mentioned. This person has never been mentioned before. It's untagged. People think that it's a pseudonym for Joe Alwyn, her lover boy, for a couple of reasons. And let me tell you why. So here's the William Bowery theory according to her stan Twitter. So this one account at TayLoki13. Okay, the William Bowery theory. On October 2016, Taylor with her squad and Alwyn were spotted at the Bowery Hotel. Something special must have happened here. That's why she used the last name Bowery. And then William Alwyn is literally Joe Alwyn's great-grandpa. He was a composer, conductor, and music teacher. Oh nice. wow! Ooh, I buy that. Actually, me too. me too. I'm I'm all in right now. This yeah. other fan account, T Swift in Asia, said there are no registered or previously credited songwriters, producers under the William Bowery name, even though he just Ooh. like randomly popped up for this new album, and he is also the only untagged co-writer in Taylor's post. You guys, wow. so, this so could be Joe. <laughs> if those songs are garbage, we know who to blame. Honestly, it's true. The random Even, actor who's never written a song before. We should. We should investigate which two songs William Bowery co-wrote and see how they <laughs> yeah, hold on. I don't have high exactly. expectations. Neither do I. Before we move on from the Taylor Swift surprise album, Kate, you have thoughts on the release of this whole yes. thing? Okay. Taylor Swift has taken the K-pop method of releasing a million different physical copies of her albums. K-pop sells like way more physical albums than anyone else because they release them as like these collector's items. And the strategy is like, if you have one super fan that's going to buy eight different versions of an album, you don't need eight fans who will buy one version. So Taylor is Mm. releasing 16 different versions of this album, eight different vinyls and eight different CDs as like collector's editions. They're going to be available for one week. They all just have like a different picture of her on the cover, which is just like exactly the K-pop mode. And I just think it's really smart because she has the super fans that will buy them. I don't get it. I don't, I guess for another pod, we can talk about that. But a collector's item, I don't actually fully understand why <laughs> and and what it is. Like, is the intent for that you sell it later in time when it like gains value and suddenly Taylor Swift in 50 years, it'll be like having a cool vintage t-shirt? No, I think you just want to have it because you're obsessed with Taylor Swift. Yeah. Right, good for them. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see <laughs> um, about this album and we'll probably report back on our thoughts for next week's episode. Correct. All right, moving on. This next category is This Week in Social Media, slash Not Worth the Tea, slash Relationship News. Each week, we just compile more and more into one category. This is a Mod Podge. Amelia, take it away. This is a strong start. Okay, so literally a day ago, Martha Stewart, you know, we briefly talked about her in terms of she's serving kooky older woman, which I love and I stan. Um, and, you know, she saw Diane Keaton be like, here was my hats. And she was like, fuck off. I can do this and I can do this better. I'm going to do a sexy photo of me in my East Hampton pool. So there's a photo of her that she posted on her Instagram, which is at Martha Stewart 48. That's her personal one, which I highly recommend as a follow. She posts a lot of like her uh, animals, her farm, her, um, the things she eats. Uh, Very, but, so is she, it cottage core? Would you consider it? You know what? It kind of account? is. It's rich lady cottage core. Nice. Which, you know, who doesn't love that? Hell yeah. And so she has a picture of her and she's like giving a sexy look to the camera. She has makeup on, like eyeshadow, like frosty, frosty lips. And she's just like, ooh. And she just <laughs> is talking about her East Hampton pool and how she likes it to be as chlorine free as possible. And 
she just looks great. She is almost 80, I think. And yeah, she's 78. I cannot she, believe it. I mean, I am zooming in on this photo and there is literally not a wrinkle in sight. She looks amazing. <laughs> she's just gorgeous. So you know what? God bless you, Martha. We love a good thirst trap. Yeah, she's also a savage on Instagram. She's a good follow for multiple reasons. She does not hold back in her comments. <laughs> Chelsea Handler tried to recreate this photo and like tag Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart was like, um, my pool is bigger than yours, but like, good try. So like, yes, you're, we love you're her. a funny girl, Chelsea. You're like, yeah, oh, God, exactly. damn. <laughs> exactly. Um, full pivot. We're going to talk about Kourtney Kardashian for a second. And I guess my only lane now on this show is TikTok. So I'm going to fill you, you in. You did it to on- yourself. You banned all other social media. And this I, is it you're now. right. You're right. Um, so I'm filling you in very quickly because we don't want to take too much time about TikTok that we already have. But Addison Ray, who's a very, very popular TikTok dancer and just person on that app, um, has now become very, very, very close with Kourtney Kardashian and her son Mason and then therefore Scott and kind of the whole family. So... I had a theory about how this friendship came to be, and then it turns out she just said it explicitly, and it was kind of similar. So she said that David Dobrik, who I'm hoping you guys know who that is. Oh, God. YouTuber? Okay, good. She said that David Dobrik made the introduction from Addison to this Kardashian family because Mason loves Addison Rae, and she says— Of course he does. loves my videos on TikTok, which, like— of course he does. Of course he does. And this is the kind of thing when you're Kourtney Kardashian and you have a son who loves a TikTok star, she'll be like, great, I'll just call her up and bring her to the house. So it started with literally Addison Ray just doing dances with Mason in their palatial house in Calabasas. And then I guess she, this is her own word. She was like, I just kind of stuck around and me and Courtney got really close. Now they work out their butts together. Now she's in Malibu with the entire family. Like, Kendall is there, which I cannot imagine how she feels about Addison Ray being a part of the squad. She's doing videos with Scott. It's like a whole a whole thing. She's, like, really ingrained now. I kind of can't believe it. She's so much younger than them. <laughs> it's just baffling to me. Well, sh- not so much younger than Sophia Richie. Or so much older True. than Mason. <laughs> That's true. It's a weird age. It's a whole weird age thing. But anyway, yeah. Um, I know you guys don't care about Kardashians <laughs> or TikTok, so we can move on. Let's do the All next right. one. Um, this is really dumb, too. But this week in social media, there was a big kerfuffle because the New York Post tweeted out a picture of Zac Efron in his new show, um, his new travel show, and then a picture of him, I believe, when he was in the Bad Baywatch movie, when he was, like, scary jacked. <laughs> like, really. And, <laughs> They said Zac Efron's dad bod transformation on Netflix show shocks fans. So this prompted a lot of backlash because Zac Efron does not have anything resembling a dad bod unless we're talking about, I don't know what kind of dads we would be talking about, but not (laughs) the kind that I'm familiar with. He is visibly jacked in this picture. He just has like chest hair, which I guess like they don't understand that there are like things underneath it that are muscles. He has (laughs) visible abs. His arms are huge. I so people obviously were saying exactly this on Twitter. I don't know if it was just like to get people riled up, but just the idea that this is a dad bod just really struck something in me that I really object to because he looks great. And of all the people to body shame, the internet needs to body shame Zach Efron is extremely not on that list. Unless we were body shaming him for like maybe the steroids that he used for the first picture. Um, <laughs> sure. But not the second picture. He looks great. Yeah, less protein. Embrace your natural self. Embrace the hair coming out of your body. Zach Efron, you go, girl. Um, okay. Very exciting news. Also just kind of, uh, was broken 
today, I believe, or last night. Demi Lovato is engaged, which is kind of wild, uh, to, I think we talked about it just when they first started dating. We didn't have a lot of time to track this relationship since they've been dating since March. Um, But she's now engaged to the actor Max Eric, I believe is how you say that. Um, Kind of wild. Again, they haven't been together too long, but apparently they're very, very in love. Their Instagram posts are so sweet to one another. The engagement ring is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, It happened, I guess, on a beach in Malibu. Then they went to go eat at Nobu. A classic celeb proposal and engagement night. But yeah, she's very sweet about him. Her post on Instagram is saying, when I was a little girl, my birth dad always called me his little partner, something that might have sounded strange without his Southern cowboy-like accent. To me, it made perfect sense. And today, that word makes perfect sense again. But today, I'm officially going to be someone else's partner. It's sweet. Aww, we like her happy. Nice. We've been talking a lot about Demi Lovato in general and just like her raw talent and charisma and like energy on screen. And I just want her to be happy. So sure, go for it. I yeah, guess. I love it. Also, do you guys think right now is like the engagement period of quarantine? Have we entered like <laughs> you've been stuck together since March. You now know that like it's gonna work. You want to be stuck with this person forever. And so people are getting engaged. I know yes. like three people in my own life that have gotten engaged like in the past week. <laughs> yes. Wow. It's a very polarizing time. I know a lot of people that have broken up and I know a lot of people that are engaged. So it's like the time where like you got to make a call. (laughs) Honestly, it feels like that would be, that's good. Um, (laughs) So yeah, congrats to Demi Lovato, I guess. Happy for her. Okay, Um, and last one. Yes, uh, really quick. Also Disney star, uh, Lindsay Lohan. She participated in a parent trap reunion with pretty much everyone from the film. Um, except for Natasha Richardson, rest in peace. And they did it on Katie Couric's Instagram. And they just talked about, you know, how much the movie meant to all of them and all the fun stuff like that. I mean, it's it's really not that exciting, but I just <laughs> I just love that movie so much. So it was really great to see everyone. And I was like, She looks hey. good. I thought Lindsay looked looked looks really good. Yeah, she did. She did. Everyone did. I have yet to be like super impressed by a reunion special at all. I had high hopes. I know the Friends one is just delayed until oblivion. (laughs) But like, I don't know. And Kate, I know you have some qualms with the One Direction like (laughs) reunion special thing we're going to talk about in a bit. But I want to see a real groundbreaking reunion, like a feud or like secret spilled from set at the time or like a brand new movie. I need new material. Yeah, I agree. I'm not that impressed so far. Yeah. Which is a good segue um, into our next our Let's next do it. All right. Tea Time is celebrating 10 years of One Direction. I'm just going to quickly hand this off to Kate and Amelia, who know much, much more about this uh, era than I do. So, Kate, take it away. Okay. So, obviously, today is 10 years since One Direction debuted, came on the scene, changed <laughs> millions of lives. And so, they've been teasing all of this content for months. Like, Liam Payne was like, we're going to reunite, which I knew was bullshit at the time. And I think a lot of people thought it was real, but I know not to trust anything that Liam Payne says. So, right. I didn't believe that. I was like, they're not reuniting. But they've been teasing, like, something is going to happen, you know, for for this, to mark this anniversary. So, I was hoping it would be some sort of, like, you know, what the Backstreet Boys did over Zoom with I Want It That Way. Like, maybe the four members that are friendly with each other would just do like a little (laughs) song or like a cover, like a little dumb music video. It seemed possible. Uh, They didn't. So this morning, they One Direction released like this website of all their content, um, supposedly of all their content of like updated, you know, songs and music videos, but it's been crashed since it launched. So no one's actually seen it yet. So that's great. 
And then all the boys like tweeted these like sappy posts, which I actually did enjoy. Um, I thought it was very sweet. Still waiting on Zane though. Uh, <laughs> which like maybe he has like iffy Wi-Fi at the farm. Gigi just posted something on Instagram. So like that excuse is not working great. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're going to do our own little mini celebration. This was my idea and I immediately regretted it. Super quick. We're going to run through what each of us thinks is like the best or our favorite One Direction song best or favorite music video, and then best or favorite album. So Liz Kelly, who's not the biggest One Direction fan, but I appreciate you being along for the ride. What would you say is your favorite One Direction song? Not to toot my own horn, but I do feel like my perspective is important. You two are so (laughs) in the weeds, Kate, you especially. I feel like I'm the average One Direction consumer where I hear it on the radio. I can sing to an unfortunate amount of their songs by the time the chorus gets going. But you're right. I'm not I'm not knowing about the fan theories and the fan fiction and all that. So having said that, my favorite song is Steal My Girl. That is an <laughs> anthem like you would not believe. You can hear this song 400 times and then it plays again and you're like, oh, this song. By the time the chorus runs around, no. You're singing it <laughs> full blast in your car. You somehow know all the words even though you've never looked them up and never cared to know them. It's easy. It's fun. It sounds like a fucking rock anthem like they're Bruce Springsteen. I love it. Great start. Uh, you <laughs> overdid my expectations. Thank uh, you. That was great. You, you and Amelia have also put the next song as both of your favorite. Go ahead, Amelia. Yes. We both really like Night Changes. I, <laughs> that song is, it's a very pretty song and the lyrics are very beautiful, if you will. Um, it's. I feel like that's them kind of like maturing, which I like. I like to see that in, you know, an artist's life, I guess. And then I also like Story of My Life. That's another kind of slower like reflective songs. So You're those are ballads. Interesting. Yeah, but I do. But obviously, like, I love all the other songs. But, yeah. you know, those are just ballads. Like, yeah, you know, so. Liz, do you have Night Changes thoughts? Um, I do in that what I just copy what Amelia said. I think it's just like a very <laughs> beautiful song. And they're also quite rare in that all of them have extremely good voices individually mm-hmm. and together. And a lot of boy bands got to layer that stuff like, you know, to make it all sound good. <laughs> yes. But they I like when they separate it all. I know it's like a complete change from my other pick, but mm. got to do two sides of the spectrum. No, that's here. good. Mm-hmm. Speaking of two sides of the spectrum, I also chose two songs. I got a blessing from the queen of cheating on podcast, Mallory Rubin, to choose a song for every year because uh, I could not narrow it down to one, but I did narrow it down to two. And my One Direction fandom in my life has had two peaks. One was in about sophomore year of high school when they were just starting out. It was like after Up All Night. It wasn't into them during like X Factor, but like after their first album, I was in. So my song from that era is One Thing, which is way better mm. than What Makes You Beautiful. It's just like peak cute One Direction when they were like in their little sweater vest, like running around London with their like slicked up hair yeah. that added like three inches. And they're all still very pure and like cute. And it's just like a little bop, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very weird to see Zayn in that song because he just is like so pure and cute. And like you just know like that, that he just like hated his life then. Um, <laughs> and then the other peak of my One Direction fandom, I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit like early college, late high school. But they pulled me back in in their final era. And I remember, like, I think right before they broke up, like, 2015, I got really into them again and was, like, watching, like, I would get really into watching, like, concert footage on YouTube. And one of their super underrated songs that has become a fan favorite is Stockholm Syndrome, which is just, like, they were very much in, like, their rocker phase, kind of. Harry had the long hair. Mm. They were just, like, running around. Great vocals. Great song. 
And yeah, it's definitely a fan favorite these days. I think if you ask like people who consider themselves like really One Direction fans, like what the fan favorite One Direction song is, I think they would say Stockholm Syndrome. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. interesting. I didn't know it's that. great. Great that song. Is a Highly good song. recommend. There's some when I'm revisiting this, I there's just so many songs you don't even realize that you know and you do and like recognize that song is great. Okay, something I know much less about. Best slash favorite music video. Kate? A lot of choices, honestly, because a lot of them have like the same fun, goofy vibe. Um, you know, they don't dance. So like that's kind of their whole thing. So like it's a lot of like dumb acting kind of and like just running around being dumbasses. Um, <laughs> and I think the peak of that is best song ever, which was directed by our guy, Ben Winston, sort of like friend of One Direction, Harry Styles. And basically there it's like this very dramatic like role playing thing where they're like in this Hollywood office and like they're playing these roles, but they're also them. Zane's in drag. It's like a whole it's oh, a whole yeah. thing. And then they end up like tearing up this like Hollywood office and being like, we're One Direction and singing the best song ever, which is kind of a dumb song, but also extremely catchy. Yeah, uh, it is. So, yeah, it's just an iconic, iconic One Direction music video. That is I'm a Amelia. What's your choice? Um, another iconic one Direction music video is I'm going to name the song again Night Changes where it's like you're going on a date with every member and it's like it's a, it's a POV kind of shot video and the date starts out great like you're having a, an Italian dinner with Zayn you're drinking wine it's just magnificent and then like everything goes to shit so uh, I don't know I just thought that was really creative for a boy band to do I'm like who how did no other boy band ever think of this idea because this is a brilliant idea and the stands went wild as they should we all went wild so I think that night changes that music video changed lives that's a great one videos are so fun like I have to admit I hadn't actually watched a One Direction music video before researching for the show and I watched a lot and the song Kiss You and the music video for that Kate goes to what you're saying which is just like very fun and silly and just like just joyful. I feel like this was like like 2012, 2013. So, Kate, you can kind of place them in that mm-hmm. history. I don't know where they were, but they seemed like just having an absolute ball. They're like in front of all of these green screens. They're doing like they're in a stationary car, a motorcycle, pretending to surf and pretending to ski. And it's all just like cheesy, but they know it and everyone knows it. And it's just very charming. Um, and I also think there's something to be said about you don't need a music video with like a whole story and saga. Like there is a time and place and joy for the like zany, just kind of like compilation of like sets and stuff like that. I really liked yeah, it. Definitely. It is good stuff. Okay. Before we move on, let's do best favorite album. I actually don't have one. So I'm just going to leave this completely up to you too. I added this because I know Amelia has a lot of thoughts, but real <laughs> quick before we get to her, um, I think four is my favorite album. And I feel like this is always confusing because you would think that four was the album where there were four of them. Yes. <laughs> but it was actually their fourth album before <laughs> there were four of them. The last album with five of them. That um, one threw me for a loop. Really? It does. I know. I always think that, even though it's like my favorite One Direction album. Wait, um, Kate, what? who is the person that left? Why were there four? Zane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, definitely. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, so this is the last album with all of them. And it just has, I'm just going to list off a couple of the bangers that are on this album. First of all, it starts off with Steal My Girl, so you know it's good. Mm. Uh, Ready to Run, Where Do Broken Hearts Go? That was close on my list for one of my favorites. And so was 18, which is the only good song Ed Sheeran ever wrote for One Direction. (laughs) Um, Girl Almighty, which is great. Just talking about how great women are and powerful women are. Um, Night Changes, also on this album. 
Wow. Stockholm Syndrome also on this album. And then there are some a couple skips there at the end, but most of them are good. <laughs> it's got like that is stacked. It's like 12 for 16 in terms of good songs. It's just great. And their vibe in this was really like very loose and like mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. rockery, kind of indie. Um, mm-hmm. Just great. Amelia, take it away. Great. Four is actually a really good album. I had, I don't know. I was at a time in my life for Midnight Memories. I think I got it as a gift from my younger sister for Christmas or something. And I was doing a lot of driving at that time, like back and forth to places. So I would play it in my car a lot. At Midnight Memories, you know, it would just, I don't, all the songs, like I wouldn't say it's like, wow, th- these songs are life-changing. But I would say that they're really delightful songs to listen to on a car ride. And you they're so easy to sing along to. It's, you know, best song ever, story of my life. You and I happily, I don't know. It's just like, it's a good album. I will stand <laughs> by this album because it is legitimately a great pop album. You also just get the sense that they loved making it and like had a great time. Yes, you know, exactly. they kind of got away from like the teeny bopper stuff, which again, like right. had its moments. But this was the one where they were like, just like late teens, just like really just breaking out, doing their thing. Yes. It's great. It's a great album. One Direction. Love those Love guys. Them. Yeah. Proud of you guys. Well done. All right. It's time. My eye is starting to twitch from too much coffee. We're all ready <laughs> and heated up to talk about Camp Rock 2. The final jam. Wow. So we're going to be moving on after this to another cringe mode, um, but we don't know what it will be. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's do Camp Rock 2. Let's go through some highlights. Top level, Kate, go ahead. (laughs) I think Camp Rock 2 is like pretty good. It's not good, (laughs) but it's significantly better than Camp Rock 1. Do we agree? Agreed Agreed wholeheartedly. 100%. I was stunned. I'd never seen Camp Rock 2. I saw Camp Rock 1 a lot when I was younger. Um, and I started watching it. And it has a little bit of a rough start. But about a half hour in, I was like, this movie is better than the last one in every way. Um, yeah. And part of that, I think, is that they really leaned into kind of the comedy of the Jonas Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. Joe is the only, like, real member of the Jonas Brothers in the first one that had a lot of screen time. But they kind of opened it up. They let Kevin have his own little funny storyline. <laughs> they gave Nick a love interest. He was very charming. And I was very entertained by them this time. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, not only that, but everyone's looked glowed the fuck up. They mm. learned from their mistakes. They stopped straightening the hair. Thank God for the costume and hair and makeup department. Um, they embraced those curls, just like our own Kate Hallowell in this Love quarantine. It. They look good. Demi Lovato looks great as usual. She didn't really get the shaft in the first movie, but I think they just kind of like, call, you know, just corrected themselves across many fronts. The styling, I know it's still like an older movie, but it doesn't age as bo- like poorly. Right. It feels like there's less egregious um, things to look at for my eyes. It was a lot of like jeans and Henleys this time for the Jonas (laughs) Brothers, which like kept it simple. Right. Yeah. Better. Way better. And then the other thing is due to the massive success and probably just Disney shelled out that big budget baby for the second movie. (laughs) This looks so much better than the first movie. They have done away with the fluorescent lighting and like all wood paneling for these like fucking dance (laughs) musical numbers. They handed that director a jib. He fucking used the shit out of that jib. Every single song, there's like a huge crane that goes up, shoots some bird's eye view footage of like the kids really singing is. and dancing. 
He used that budget like to the fullest extent. I'm so proud of you, whoever that was. And yeah, I think the stunt, we knew that we had like leveled up when in like the first 20 minutes, there's that stunt where the Jonas Brothers tour bus tumbles into the lake. And that's not CGI. They used a real tour bus. And they just, there was no expenses, um, you know, left unturned here. So props to Disney, props to the production team. Agreed. God bless them. I would say that my, one of my favorite moments was the feminist speech, if you will, from Dana Turner, Nick Jonas's love interest. When she goes to visit him, she's from the other camp, Camp Star. And she's like, I'm here to visit you. And he's just like, oh, that's cool. And she's like, are you are you for real right now? I fucking came over here. I goddamn sneaked out of my oppressive father's camp, like <laughs> got my ass into a canoe and canoed all the way over and all you can say is cool. So she just lets him have it. And honestly, good. Thank you. That's, yeah, thank she, you, Dana. She Turner. went into enemy waters for fucking Nick she Jonas really and he can't even muster a compliment. Yeah, exactly. I guess we should explain. The general premise of this movie is that Camp Rock, there's a rival camp that opens up right next door across the lake called Camp Star and they're going to like put Camp Rock out of business. So this leads us into the low lights. Because they have to save Camp Rock from this rival camp. Like, there are only so many camps that people can go to in the middle of nowhere in this random wooded area. Um, And so, Mitchie ends up being the one to just take it by charge. And she has her clipboard and she's like, we're going to save the camp. Here's how we're going to do it. And people give her the hardest fucking time. She's trying to organize this huge performance. She's trying to organize all these people. She's like making people counselors. For some reason, there's like no one actually in charge of this camp. So she just has to do it herself. (laughs) And everyone's like, God, Mitchie's such a buzzkill. Am I right? And like she tries to hold this meeting and people throw water balloons at her and get her clipboard wet. And I'm like, you people stick to the schedule. She's literally trying to save your camp. Literally everyone hates on her. Even Peggy, who I thought was going to be a good friend and kind of appreciate the hard work that Mitchie had put in. But she gets absolutely destroyed across the board. And I don't know if it's because I am kind of a stick in the mud about events and organizing and scheduling. But I was looking at this being like, you go, Mitchie. These people suck. Right? (laughs) Everyone's just goofing off. It's like, we got a camp to save people. I know. True. Can't believe it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay, next low light, like Kate mentioned, is that Mitchie just like puts her fellow friends as the camp counselors because all the camp counselors <laughs> bounce to Camp Star because it's like cool, way better benefits. I understand. <laughs> and now all of the like, all of her friends are running these different departments on the camp. And some, they do a good job. There's like obviously children at this camp. And I know we're not trying to like really logistically lock down you know, this plot, but it doesn't make any sense. And it's a legal nightmare to put camp counselors in the same age group as the people that are like, just like the camp attendees. True. Romance out the door. There's just, we- it's just too weird. The authority is not there. I just feel like they could have gone elsewhere. But like Kate said, it appears that there's this one camp director and then Mitchie's mom who runs the kitchen. And that's yeah. it. That's, that's the it. only yeah. adult presence. <laughs> on the premises. So, but yeah, just think about these things, you guys. Um, (laughs) And then last low light, Amelia. Last low light. um, I'm sorry, but Camp Rock thinking that they can, because in the end, spoiler alert, they have to do, like, save the camp. They do a concert competition where people will vote for either Camp Rock or uh, Camp Star. And Camp Star comes out with this actually catchy song and it's like pop rock and it's really fun and upbeat. And then 
freaking Camp Rock comes out and they think they can win this thing with a goddamn ballad? Are you kidding me? This isn't Camp Ballad. It's Camp Rock. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but your camp's existence is on the line and you're going to follow up Camp Star's iconic performance with that? I'm sorry, but you deserve to lose. And I'm offended you would ever think that a ballad between Mitchie and Shane Gray would work because it doesn't. It's honestly so true. Also, know thine enemy. They knew Camp Star was going to be all about the glitz and the glamour and the smoke and mirrors. At least level up to them and then back it up with their beautiful vocals. But you're right. You know I love a good ballad in these kind of movies. Sure. Absolutely not. This is Everything's on the line and they chose to just fall flat. Also, one more thing. They were like really like playing like righteous being like oh Tess and what's his name are the only people performing for Camp Star like obviously implying that like the rest of the campers should get involved and like be allowed to perform and then they go on stage and like yes everyone from Camp Rock is on stage but then fucking Joe and Demi sing the whole song yeah that's the same thing you're not better than them especially since Peggy won the thing from last season Yes. Last summer. <laughs> Last summer. Sorry. Yes. That. Yeah. Really it's unfair. so true. Huge mistakes being made all across this movie. Yeah. However, very enjoyable. Let's go to what has aged the best and the worst. Kate. So there's this song in Camp Rock 2. And we, Liz had talked about how the TikTok from Camp Rock 1 that she knew she recognized, but like didn't know it until she saw it. She's really good at that one. Uh huh. There's a scene in Camp Rock 2 that I also realized that I had seen all over the internet, did not realize it until I saw it. And it's the introduction to It's On, which is a scene where Camp Rock comes busting into Camp Star to be like, to like challenge them face to face in some sort of like sing off thing. But the way that they enter the camp is just so unique. They decide to do like this stepping routine. Um, And you've probably seen it online because people have been making fun of it for the past eight years or however long since this came out. Where they're like, like doing like the, like, (laughs) I don't know how to put it to audio. Um, But they're yelling camp rock and they're doing this stepping routine. And it's awful. And you got Nick Jonas in the back with the drumsticks just thinking it's really do it something just garnering all the interest. It just, it looks so bad. It's amazing. So bad. It's, it's so embarrassing. the best scene in the whole movie. <laughs> it's so embarrassing <laughs> oh to watch. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, next one. And I just want to say that they didn't even try with, they were like, okay, we'll do like a couple stepping moves. And you're like, okay, if right. you're really going to fucking do it, then fucking do it. It's true. And don't let Demi Lovato lead. That. Don't, like, let, yes, don't let Demi don't. lead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh my God. So anyway, um, that aged really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think also what aged pretty badly is, I'm sorry. I know, Liz, you talked about the Connect 3 where they trashed the tour bus into the water. Well, that seems a little wasteful now. And it did also <laughs> back then. It's just like, are they going to be able to repurpose this giant tour bus? I don't think so. So that, I don't know. It's just insulting to the environment. And Are you talking about when the bus tumbles into the lake by yes. accident in the beginning yeah. of the movie? Okay. Exactly. Let me remind you about a little franchise called The Fast and the Furious where they literally parachute fucking cars <laughs> out of the sky for no reason. And then they have planes that also carry up, submarine that carry out. Talk about wasteful. Camp Rock 2 had one stunt. I feel like <laughs> someone had to get the bus out of the lake, but in comparison, it in could comparison, be a lot worse. In comparison, true. You're right. But just these, like stand These alone, franchises you know. are on the same level, definitely. <laughs> they are. They are. I don't yeah. know why anyone would question that. Okay, <laughs> next one is the MVP. And uh, let's do Amelia first. Okay, um, my MVP for this film is 
Kevin. Kevin Hell Jonas. Yeah. Hell because, yeah. you know, and obviously Joe gets the love interest, blah, blah, blah. And Nick even gets a love interest in this film. And Kevin, he decided to forego a love interest for the betterment of the movie. And honestly, thank you, because it would have been a little too much to handle. And he just decided, hey, I'm going to be the cool, fun camp counselor, kind of nerdy, kind of just there. And it worked for him and it worked for the film. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Absolutely. That was definitely his, his decision. He definitely was like, <laughs> for the betterment of the movie, I I don't want to yeah. be a major part of this film. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's really good run at physical his whole comedy. Career, yeah. He's funny. He, just, he is. Very yeah. good at slapstick. He just leaned in. It's perfect. He did. Speaking of things that are perfect, I think an MVP is just the franchise and them quitting while they are ahead. Mm. There was like talks of Camp Rock 3 and then like all the stars like Jonas Brothers, Jemmy Lovato were like, no, not <laughs> happening. Um, quit while you're ahead, guys. Just two good movies. They didn't do like Camp Rock. Now we're in college and things are weird and like we're all trying to go to Juilliard. Like there was none of that. They kept it low stakes and just like just two and that's fine. You know, not everything has to be seven, eight movies long. True. So way to go. Agreed. And then lastly, quick shout out to Frankie Jonas with a little cameo in this movie. Where was uh, he? He was the little tiny camp counselor kid who like hands Demi Lovato something. He was one of the, mm. or not camp counselor, but he was one of the kids that was at the, the kids. camp. Hmm. You just got to have a eye him. out for these things, Kate. Sorry, Frankie. Okay, let's go to best and mu- worst musical number. I feel like we're just going to fight our way through this. This is a hearty, <laughs> hearty category. Okay, Kate, you want to go first? My general takeaway is that every song in this movie needed to be a minute shorter. They're all like pushing three and a half, four minutes. And I'm like, I can only watch this for so long. Um, But that said, I thought the soundtrack was like pretty consistently decent, like pretty good, which I guess is true because Demi Lovato is a great singer and the Jonas Brothers are professional singers. And like, that's what happens when it's not (laughs) like, you know, Gabrielle and Troy, like just trying their best for an hour and a half. Um, (laughs) But I honestly thought the soundtrack was significantly better than the first one and pretty good as yeah. a whole. Agreed wholeheartedly. I I will say I do have a bone to pick with we we can't back down. Yeah. <laughs> because it just starts the transition into the song she's just like they're all like, "Oh my god, the camp is closing." And you know, Camp Star is so cool and Demi's just like, "We can't back down." And you're just like, "Oh my god, this is this is <laughs> horrible." But okay, sure. And but you know, again, Credit to Demi Lovato because she is just trying to give it. She is not. She's been thrown scraps. She's been essentially thrown HSM scraps. And <laughs> she is trying to make a meal out of it. And, you know, by God, she's trying. She really is. And also with the lyric, it's literally we can't back down is all they say, literally. And then yeah. they say, this is serious. And it's like, that's kind of ironic because are you sure this is serious? <laughs> Because those yes. lyrics with that dancing are just, they're really subverting your message. Yeah, we got to talk about the choreo. The <laughs> worst and weakest choreography in the Ugh. whole franchise, probably, but definitely the movie. They did that thing, you guys. Again, this won't translate to audio. I swear we're podcast professionals, but <laughs> you interlock your fingers with each other and then you do the worm with your yes. arms. I don't know if you guys can visualize this. Try this out at home. <laughs> it's so awkward. And the song is like trying to rile and like Ugh. get the camp all jazz. And them doing that halfway through the fucking thing. Is so embarrassing. It's they bad. also like kind of do some crumping, like oh, <laughs> like borderline crumping. And I you don't want for it, but they're in like crocheted baby doll tops and like bell bottom jeans. Yes, and it's just it's atrocious. Yes, that's bad. Um, the one good choreography I will say in good number. Granted, it started with that whole step routine, which we decided was very awful and problematic. <laughs> but it's on. Took 
my advice, I'm sure, but um, learn from High School Musical and put people on different levels, which makes it so much more fun to watch people dancing that way. Mm. It was in like the stadium kind of bleacher theater thing. So there's like a bunch of different people on all these different stands. They're running around. They're like, they're actually pretty good at dancing. So I will say that they learned. That's a lot of coordination. A lot of jib action there as well. So props <laughs> yeah. to the director. This was much more of a musical. There were much less. I mean, yes. there were still a lot of like mm-hmm. people sit in the audience and watch someone on a stage. But there were much <laughs> more dynamic numbers in this one, which worked quite well. Yes. Um, one song that I really enjoyed, even though I, I would say Nick Jonas is my least favorite of the Jonas Brothers. I just have never really like bought his whole shtick. And as you know, I have a soft spot for Kevin. But he does a little song where he's singing to his love interest, whatever her name is. And he it's called Introducing Me. And he just has his little guitar and he's like singing all these goofy lyrics. It's very like yes. Jason Mraz. Like maybe Jason Mraz was inspired uh, yeah. by Camp Rock too. Um, I'm not saying he was. I'm not saying he wasn't. But <laughs> he just walks around with his little guitar. He's singing this goofy song about how he wants to grow a mustache and he likes cheese. And it's like all this little, these little introductions, like a little Tinder bio, but a song. Um, it, was very, it was very charming. I was thoroughly mm-hmm. charmed, as was his love interest in the movie. <laughs> that is definitely true. Which one is Heart and Soul? Which song is that? That's Heart the Jonas so- Brothers one, right? Yeah, okay. where they're like, oh, hey, we're talking about rock and roll, which is like one of the cardinal rules of rock songs, I feel like, is not to mention you're talking about rock and roll <laughs> because that just makes you seem not legit, you know? And yeah. also don't mention other artists, other rock artists, if you want to seem like, hey, I'm doing a rock song now. Because mm-hmm. remember, I mean, do you remember moves like Jagger? That song Tough. was huge, but it was embarrassing also. You're um, right, right. Heart and Soul, you know, they managed to mention David Lee Roth and Bruce Springsteen <laughs> pre-chorus, which, pre-chorus. yikes, not good, not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say Fire and Rain is a, fucking banger this is just with joe jonas and um i sorry i see troy and gabriella kate your notes threw me off this is with joe jonas and demi lovato i'm getting my two couples mixed up but they have great i mean they're great singers we we been new but um yeah this is a a really good song (laughs) i agree they're like is their duet or whatever where they're like angsty and singing about how they can't connect and like they're both walking across the camp at night and it's a legitimately good song And it just like, it really, if you look at it compared to like the angsty high school musical ballads, it just, you're like, wow, these two are, again, professional singers and are now pop stars. And these two are actors who sang in this movie, you know, it's like very clear who was meant to do what. Correct. I also have one small note. And actually, for you listening, the small secret about Tea Time is this little game that we like to do, which is run out of the screen and go do something and then come back (laughs) without anyone noticing. Amelia is somewhere, not sure where. So, Kate, I'm going to tell this to you. Okay, hit me. And I think you'd appreciate it because it's based in facts and you know, I know that you love research. (laughs) Okay. One last thing about the musical numbers. I'm very concerned about the health and safety of Demi Lovato and Joe Jonas in the competition aspect when they're in that big stage and it's being televised. Because if you've rewatched that, the amount of breath that is coming out of their mouths, like when it's really cold, is like every time they open their mouth. You can see their breath. It's so visible and it's got to be so cold in order for you to like consistently catch that on camera. So I did a little research. Camp Rock 2 was filmed in Toronto, okay, in between September and October. And this was filmed at night. You can see 
you can't, you have to be blind. It's dark out. Okay. (laughs) And the average nightly temperature in Toronto during September and October is fucking high 40s. And Demi Lovato is in this like cute little outfit, not meant for that weather. And I just feel bad about that set. You know, they were in those big, like, um, those, what is those called? The goose parkas, like that really high end company up until they had to dance. But yes, Canadian goose or something. Yes, Canada goose. Thank you. Canada goose. Yeah. Um, yeah, bad, bad. That is bad. Although, quick note for Liz Kelly, who grew up in California, 40 degrees is well above freezing. So, it's freezing. Just, I was going to say, it's actually freezing. above 40 freezing. degrees is like shorts weather. No, that's you like, guys. Ma- that's like a light jacket at best. It's shorts weather for me. 40 degrees is you stay inside until the seasons change. That's oh. too cold. Oh, you're from LA. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Great okay. research, Liz. Thank you. We're going to our last category. Um, (laughs) I'm sure you guys have been hearing our just like mental decline as the weeks and months pass. (laughs) So we've renamed this category for the week. I think, Kate, you did this. This is called (laughs) Tea Time's Worst Quarantine Takes Because Everything Sucks and Nothing Matters. So we're going to give some bad takes. We've um, Mine is actually not that bad. I've just come around on (laughs) something. It goes from best to worst. The most egregious is at the very bottom. So stay tuned. (laughs) Mine, very quickly, sweats are good. I'm sorry. I think it was only like two weeks ago where I was like answering a mailbag question. I was like, I wear jeans like three, four times a week. No, no. I (laughs) have been wearing the same sweats now since I recorded that podcast. It's just... I just don't know really what I was doing. And obviously, we're not going anywhere. So I'm just fully on sweats now. Welcome. This is the character evolution <laughs> we like to see. Seriously. Thank you. Okay, okay, next one. Mine also is not that bad. This category was inspired by the last two takes. Um, we do say two because we do have two different people who are going to be adding Ooh. takes after Liz and I are done. My take is that big cities are not worth it. And we should all just move to the plains somewhere where there's no people. Um, I've spent the last four months in Indiana. I'm back in L.A. this week packing up my shit so that I can, like, go to Indiana for the rest of the year. And L.A. has been awful. It's been an awful experience. (laughs) The plague has overtaken this city, which was always, like, pretty dirty and bad to begin with. The traffic is awful. Um, (laughs) Anything that you're going to do just is not worth it. It's really expensive. And I would like to go back to my Indiana parks and my Indiana fields of corn and my trafficless roads and my cheap everything. Uh, pretty much immediately. So maybe don't move right now, uh, especially if you live in a big city that is very infected. I do not recommend that right now. Uh, but my take is that big cities are, are bad and not worth it. You're absolutely there right. You I've been it. in this hellscape since we uh, got out of work and <laughs> it's not better. So agreed. Move to a faraway place, perhaps Canada. Um, okay. Uh, next one. Canada okay. won't let you in right now. Oh, that's anyway, true. sorry. Go ahead. No, that's true though. Okay. Well, love both of those takes. My take, I just, you know, realized it the other day. Um, I actually really enjoy Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton together. I did not expect to go on this journey, but I have come full circle because I remember when they first got announced and I was like, this is a crime against humanity. How dare you, Gwen, uh, turn on me like this. But you know what? After watching some videos, he, I will say this, he is a charming guy and he's pretty funny. And, uh, and none of you are agreeing with me, which is fine. Um, We're just letting and, it ride. Okay. But We're letting you have your time before okay, we speak. Thank you. <laughs> but I was watching 
some videos where they're talking about each other and they seem very much in love and really happy. And I just want her to be happy. And it seems like he is super involved with her kids and that he treats her super well. And he says, he, I've watched them. Oh God, I've, it's embarrassing how many videos I've watched in literally the past day of them together and them being like super in love. And I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I'm happy for you. You deserve happiness, Gwen. Blake seems like a nice guy. Also, he's 6'5", and like he's a big guy. He's 6'5". So honestly, girl, climb that tree. Get it. Oh, oh my God. Wow. I can't argue with that, actually. Really strong closing point. Thank you. Absolutely. I do have thoughts, but just not, I don't really want to go after that. It feels like the perfect ending. Um, but you are right. The worst part about them is they seem genuinely happy with one another and just in love, which is sickening. Okay. Last one. Drum roll, please. You haven't heard from her in months because she didn't take home a mic in quarantine, but she's back on her Zoom audio. It's our BFF, our lovely producer, Kaya McMullen, Ooh. here to take the last take, which is worst of all. I mean, I don't know how I can top that. Um, yeah, I don't think this is that spicy, but I think quarantine is also just melting my brain. I think Anna Kendrick is good. Anna wow. Kendrick is good now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is wild. Kaya, explain your journey to this opinion. This comes after me watching the show Love Life on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard of the show, I was very out on it. I was like, ugh, Andrew Kendrick in a rom-com <laughs> pass. And then, you know, the weeks went on and I watched more stuff and I watched more stuff. And then finally I was like, well, I might as well give this a try. And it's good. It's wow. a good show. And Anna How Kendrick is pretty damn good at it. Save for the first episode where she wears a terrible, terrible wig. But other than that, it's yeah. not bad. How big of a focal point is her height in that in that TV show? Oh, oh, it's huge. She at one point she dates this one guy who's also I think six foot five, and you could also uh, like a she could also like Amelia. <laughs> Um, I'm disappointed. She's very Kaya. small in the show. Yeah, I mean, I am too. But does she where sing? We are. Does she sing oh at any God. point no, in no, love no, life? No, 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 no. Oh she's God. like an art person. She's like an art curator. But she doesn't like oh find God. a way to sing. No, there's no singing. There's no wow. singing. The height takes up too much content for her to sing in this <laughs> show. Right. She's got to pick a lane. I thought we were friends, Kaya. This is sad. I thought we were like staunchly, staunchly together on this, like the whole pod. I thought team. I was too. I thought I was too. But now I'm almost like, should I watch the Quibi show next? No. 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 Oh, she's friends with the sex doll. Woo. There's a line, Kaya, and that's it. Kaya, well, please. We'll see, we'll see what happens like three months down the road from now. You're so my close apartment. to the dark side. <laughs> Come wow. back. That's, you think you know someone. That's um, all. Just give it a shot, you guys. <laughs> We're really losing it. This unraveled quickly. I'm going to go fight Kaya in the street. Um, thank you so much for listening. I suppose thank you, Kaya, for producing this podcast. I'm Liz Kelly. I'm Kate Alwell. And I'm Amelia Wedemeyer. <laughs> <laughs>